Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, January 27, 2016. Got to get that right. This is the Promotional More Practice live chat. Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm the senior editor at MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. Today on the podcast, we will talk about uh, UFC 196, all of the things that went into making it what it is, which is now an event on Fox Sports 1, headlined by Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and Johnny Hendricks. Of course, Cain Velasquez pulling out. We'll talk about um, uh, Fabricio Verdum pulling out, Steve Amiocha stepping in, and all the various issues that are entailed uh, therein. We'll also get to, let's see, um, there is UFC on Fox 18 on Saturday, Bellator 148 on Friday, um, and a whole lot more. So all of that, plus your questions, your comments, we'll get to that on MMAfighting.com. In the comments section where this video is posted is the best place to get your questions in or, or your comments. The ones that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. I'll try to jump around, so in case you weren't early, we'll get to some of the ones at the bottom of the of the queue as well. Um, if you'd be so kind, please give this video a thumbs up and let folks know you're watching on whatever social media channel you're using, be that Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, whatever the case may be. By the way, if you want to get at me on Twitter, you may, at SBN Luke Thomas, um, and... Um, Hashtag chat rappers. You all, you guys know the deal. Um, okay, diet soda for today. You guys know what time it is in this particular sense. Got the uh, shipment from Hunter. Code red diet. And uh, amazingly, I thought this was like discontinued. I had a bunch of people write me being like, uh, hey, stupid, it's not discontinued. You can buy it on Amazon. Maybe the distribution of it is discontinued. I haven't seen it in a, a grocery store or convenience store in my area in the nation's capital in years but uh, it is still available on amazon.com so what a wonderful world we live in and as a member a prime member of amazon.com that uh, is good news for me this one's not as good as the last one i try to save these for the live chat because they're so delicious and refreshing Someone made fun of me saying, uh, how can you like that and not like IPAs, which is a, actually a very compelling um, argument. The argument is not that I don't like IPAs. The argument is I don't like most IPAs because most IPAs are poorly made. Most beer manufacturers are trying to have a hops arms race um, where they really sort of run over any kind of um, um, balance to how the beer is supposed to taste or they create bizarre imbalances as a consequence of trying to compensate for it. Um, there are some that I like bells too hard at ale, but generally your point is great. There really is no justification for drinking this kind of thing. I just do it out of habit at this point. All right, let's get to these questions. Luke, you talked about Conor McGregor being the, uh, being able to be the first to spark co-promotion in the UFC. This was something Fedor tried to do when signing to the UFC, but UFC brass never agreed. With the UFC not being keen on co-promoting, what do you think McGregor has in order? What do you think McGregor has to do in order to get them to fully break down and agree? Well, I don't suppose we're very close to this yet. And someone has written a comment here, John Nash, um, saying, poo-pooing the idea a little bit, saying the UFC has made an effort over the past half decade to increase its contractual or fixed revenue stream, for example, its TV contracts. While McGregor represents a good chunk of the pay-per-view and gate revenue, it does not have the same significance from a negotiating leveraging perspective as it did under the Spike deal. Um, UFC still considers Ronda a bigger star, but barely, and his 
and has dealt with the loss of Chuck, Tito, Couture, blah, 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 and diminishing star power of other fighters like Rampage and VJ. UFC will likely wait McGregor out before caving to Cobra Motion, a similar tactic used during the Couture and Vandoy situations. Time is on the UFC side as prime as a small window. He does not yet have the Hollywood star power of Ronda or the sponsorship appeal of GSP to supplement a stall in negotiating. So that's true, uh, generally speaking. I don't think he's in a position now to be negotiating for a co-promoting spot. I don't think he really has enough, as noted here, to make that doable. But I would be very cautious about dismissing that um, out of whole cloth. To the extent that Ronda decides to go the full Hollywood route and the Gina Carano route and doesn't fight anymore, um, that removes her a big chunk of pay-per-view revenue um, from their coffers uh the return of john bones jones helps but just imagine a scenario where mcgregor holds both belts at the same time that is significant leverage and certainly not one that the ufc could potentially say well we'll just bow to it and uh give you what you want we'll break all of our um you know normal operating procedures in this regard but what they might say is um you know we'll just we'll work around it maybe we'll say um we'll just have interim belts and that would work for a while too but i just sort of want to point out that there are all kinds of ways to slowly manipulate your way there I, whether it is eminent um in the sense that it's very near I, I don't know but i would be very cautious about looking at these structural norms from um and, and suggesting well there's really nothing he can do holding two belts would be significant the absence of rousey would be significant and just if he's able to keep the win streak alive if he's able to keep the star power alive um you can encroach on territory he's already under contract it's not the same as never having a guy and trying to get him you know there was an argument to be made at the time fedor was being signed or you know trying to be signed that people were like well how much is fedor really worth no one really knows who he is and the, the argument was maybe that's true, but if anybody can make somebody into somebody they need to be, that would be the UFC. They could take this raw material, this general buzz about Fedor at the time, not the most recent contract negotiations, but, but prior to signing Strike Force, and they could do something with that. Um, McGregor's already under contract. He already is something. So I don't think he's very close to it, but the more control over his contract he can get, um, the more that becomes a, a possibility you may also see him regular promotions and then he signs other fighters right he could begin to sign and manage fighters with his own stable like mayweather does as well um he could make it a deal that if you want to work with those guys and you want to work with me you have to work with them as a package deal um there's all kinds of ways to get in on that territory the ufc is much bigger as a promotional entity than top rank or showtime uh or, I mean, or golden boy or something like that. So Mayweather was able to make those things work a lot easier. Also, there's just more precedence for that sort of thing on the boxing side of the equation. So long story short, we the reasons that Nash outlines are real. Um, they're not real, you know as reliant on pay per view as they once were. Um, time is on is you know the sands and the hourglass are, are dropping against McGregor, not so much the UFC. But you'd be surprised at ways that they can accumulate control. They can accumulate. Um, enough reasons for someone to bend. And maybe the initial co-promotion um, is not outright the same kind of thing that we would see in boxing, but maybe a small nod towards McGregor. Um, um, I just think in the end, it would be very, very foolish to disregard these chances because others have failed at it. And there are indeed structural challenges but those can fall in and everything is too insurmountable until it all falls at once. And then here we are. So it's worth monitoring. I don't think it's hardly imminent, but it is, it is in no way worth dismissing.
All right. I want to get to this one first. So I'll go second one first. Uh, would you have been interested in a Jones versus Stipe matchup? Um, not to say that there wouldn't have been. I would hate for him to take the Stipe fight and then be derailed off reclaiming things at light heavyweight, either through injury or some other unforeseen circumstance. Maybe he looks really good at heavyweight and just goes and stays there. I still think there's unfinished business at light heavyweight. Not a lot, but a little bit. You know, true people always, I was like, oh, McGregor cleaned out a division. Mm. You haven't fought Edgar. You haven't fought some other guys. And to really clean out a division, you have to stay there. Working your way up through it is not the same thing as cleaning out a division. Once you get there, you hold it, and then you kill off all foreseeable contenders. Max Holloway deserves a rematch. There's lots of things you have to do. So he has not cleaned out featherweight. Um, Jones is getting close to the point where he's cleaned out light heavyweight not there yet though still a couple fights maybe a few fights left before he does it so that that bit of unfinished work would uh bother me a little bit but in terms of just seeing jones fight miocic yeah of course who would be against such a thing it would be a phenomenal test for both guys really big test for jones i mean your first fight at heavyweight is a guy who's a um title contender if not a guy who might eventually hold that belt depending on how things work out so uh, big punching power, athletic, good takedown defense, good wrestling generally. Yeah, that'd be a really tough test. I'd be very interested in seeing that. Um, so sure. But more to the second point, are you okay with Verdum saying he would fight Kane but not Stipe? Well, under the argument that he made, sure. If he was blanket saying, I will not fight Stipe Miocic, well, that would be a problem. That would be a cause to strip him. But that's not what he said. What he said was, um, I might do it if it was Kane, for a few reasons, but if it's not going to be Kane and I'm already not feeling great and it's on really short, I mean, we're talking about less than two weeks, less than two weeks. And so we already know the training's almost basically done, right? Done as of Saturday or something like that. And he's supposed to fight Stephen Miocic on that kind of short notice. I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, look, if you are a fan and you are upset that the fight fell through, very understandable. And if you're a fan who bought tickets, boy, really understandable that you would be upset. Um, and you're entitled to get some of your money back too, I believe, as well, when the headliner falls out. So that's something you can investigate should you feel that you want to do that. I don't know what the airline and the hotel might say to you, but ticket, tickets otherwise have to be refunded under these circumstances. Um, but it is very hard for me to understand what the argument against Verdum is, short of being just generally upset at the circumstance. The, these are mercenaries. They are not barbarians. This notion that fighters take on all comers, no matter what, is uh, anachronistic thinking that no longer has any relevance to the game, if it ever did. It is nice that we have these heroes we have built up, mostly through manufactured romanticized you know um visions of the past who we claim didn't matter the challenger didn't matter the circumstance they just sort of showed up and they fought and defended their title because that's what capital real capital or capital r real capital c champions do you know trademark real, real champions this is fantasy this is complete and total fantasy it has no relevance to the modern world 
uh, at all. We're talking about Fabrizio Verdum, a guy who submitted Fedor, a guy who submitted Velasquez. Uh, we're talking about him after beating Velasquez on the short list of the, one of the greatest heavyweights, if not the greatest heavyweight ever. And now we're having a discussion about whether there is cowardice involved with a particular matchup. Only, only someone uh, who lacks a mammalian brain would think something like that. Utterly indefensible statement. Not indefensible to feel upset. Not indefensible to feel like there's a sense of something lost there. Sure, no problem. It's a very human reaction. But if you're if you are confused about why elite prize fighters make calculated choices about their careers, it sounds to me like what needs to happen is you out there need to rethink how you view what is and isn't an elite prize fighter. Elite prize fighters putting conditions on which they participate is completely normal. And in fact, if they didn't, they probably wouldn't be elite. They probably wouldn't be champion. That's just the way it goes. Fabrizio Verdum is not saying he won't face Deepa Miocic. What he's saying is, look, if I'm not feeling great and I'm not going to make a ton of money on it and I don't get a full camp for it, doesn't really interest me. Seems entirely appropriate to me. Sucks for me. Sucks for you. Sucks for the UFC. No doubt about it. Don't. I wouldn't argue otherwise. But you're essentially saying, Fabrizio Verdum, you have such nerve making a really rational decision about your career. If you want to believe in fairy tales that these guys show up no matter what, they, they fight no matter what, that's fine. And if you want to applaud someone who does those kinds of things, to even to their own detriment, you are welcome to do so. You are not welcome to then say, well, because X did it, then Y has to do it. That's X's choice. If X wants to make decisions against their own career because that's principles they believe in or for whatever other case they might hold those positions, that is entirely their right to elect to do so. It is also entirely his right. Even, even uh, if Verdun were completely healthy, he'd be justified in turning down the Miocic fight on short notice. It's short notice. Miocic does not fight like Cain Velasquez. There are some overlapping similarities. There are some that are not. If I were Verdum and I were 38 years old and it took me this long to reach the pinnacle of the sport, I would also be very careful about the way in which I accept conditions. And I think what also this underscores was that, look, the UFC has, in 2015, they did have a lot of injury woes early. I think some of those dissipated towards the second half of the year. They had some big fights. They had some really big stacked cards. This card was not stacked. The fact that you're feeling... Uh, you know, losing a main event is nothing you can ever sneeze at. But the fact that there was no supporting cast to it underscores the card was a little thin. And that thinness is then reverberating back onto some of these decisions and some of these feelings you might have about what Verdun did. Look, I'm not here to say what Verdun did was super awesome for you or for me or anyone else who wants to watch some fights uh, the coming Saturday night. But it is entirely justifiable. It is entirely normal. It is entirely rational. And that that these guys act in rational ways for self-preservation uh, is not a scandal. It's just not. It's the way in which the world works. So if there's a guy out there who abandons all of these and fights when fingers are missing and having a liver taken out or whatever the case may be, you are welcome to cheer these kinds of people. Certainly, I would admire kind of reckless courage like that to some extent. But um, um, the only condition under which you could be upset at Verdun truly for his decision making was if he sort of stipulated, you know, this is just not a challenger I'm really willing to face uh, under any circumstance. That's not what Verdun said. He said, this circumstance. I'm already kind of banged up. I'm not going to make any money for it, and I've had no time to prepare for him. 
seems to me if you're a champion, you have earned that right to say as much. Frankly, if you're any fighter, you've earned that right. Some might have less leverage to exercise that, but the UFC is not going to release Fabricio Verdun so that Bellator can snatch him up. This is a privilege he's earned. It's a it's a right that he has, um, and he exercised it. And we are on the losing end of it, but that's just the way the world works sometimes. You don't get everything you want. And uh, I just want to be clear about this. If you're one of these guys who thinks, well, champions show up no matter what, and they fight all comers, well, that's Verdum too. In a sense, he's going to fight Miocic or whoever comes next. He didn't say he wouldn't fight him, but he has the right to fight him under the appropriate conditions. He, he If he wants to sign a bout agreement um, with Miocic, he has a right to to exercise the terms under that bout agreement. And I don't even know if he signed one, but either way, even if he did, uh, he was able to pull out of it per the terms of any agreement. It should not surprise people that people are calculating. When Tyrone Woodley says, I want to take one fight over the other because it does certain things for me or it benefits me in one particular way that the other fight does not, that is not a scandal. That is not a scandal. These guys are too good. The margins between them are uh, too thin, and the consequences of losing are too great for them to say, I'll just fight whoever. If you're the guy saying, you'll just fight whoever comes along, chances are you're never going to wear gold. Doesn't mean Fabrizio Verdum's not the best. Just means he's careful about how he takes each and every step in the course of his career. Fantasy matchup. Dominic Cruz versus Frankie Edgar. Luke Mark Henry appeared in the MMA Hour last week and mentioned that Frankie wins at featherweight title. He might drop to 135 with a chance of becoming the UFC's first three-division champ. Last weekend, Cruz returned to action, blah, 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 blah. Um, provided that Edgar can cut to 135 and retain all the ability he has at 145, who would you pick to win a matchup between these two future Hall of Famers? Uh, probably uh, Cruz. I think Cruz would be way too evasive, uh, would win with wrestling control a little bit, at least with takedowns as much as he needed to. Cruz is a big 135. Um, yeah, I would like Cruz there in that particular case. Although, you know, um, Edgar's got plenty of skill too, but not enough for me. That particular circumstance. True or false? Cain Velasquez doesn't fight in 2016. Hmm. I'll say false. After DC versus Jones is announced, one of them pulls out of the fight. False. Uh, El Kukui whoops your boy Nurmagomedov in April. Since you asked it that way, I will not reply. Nurmagomedov gets fined for wearing his uh, Popopka, the hat he wears during weigh-ins. I doubt it. False. Tyron Woodley gets jumped over for a title shot. True. GSP officially retires this year. True. Cam Newton and the Panthers destroy Peyton and the Broncos in Super Bowl 50. I don't know. That defense is pretty good, but I do think Cam and the Panthers will win. Uh, I don't know if you're into tennis, but Federer beats Djokovic. Certainly hope so. I like Federer a lot. Uh, as for the qu- first part about Kane Velasquez, you know, look, um, again, just to be sort of very clear about this, the difference in athleticism between Kane Velasquez and I could not be greater. Let's establish that off the break but it is interesting that he's had many of the same injuries that i've had torn labrum torn rotator cuff and now a back injury now i don't know the extent of his back injury i've had two back injuries uh one more recently the first one i had was in about 2003 and i tore uh, a couple of discs in my back and that was relatively awful and then more recently uh, i tore the psoas muscle uh, which is a muscle that connects your um, hip basically to your um spine essentially your lumbar region and um 
I tore that a little bit, twisting and trying to pull up at the same time. So that that was a stupid thing on my part. But so it, long story short, I've had a number of back problems. Now I don't know what his back problem is, um, but Josh Barnett made a point about it, and he was saying, you know, back and neck problems they're lingering and they're hard to solve. They can be career threatening. I just want to be clear about this: the shoulder surgery I had, the labrum surgery, is something I have to work around all the time. But it's something I can work around all the time. This back injury is absolutely debilitating. It is taking a very long time to fix. That is with dedicated professional rehabilitative help. Um, even when you don't have that, you have to get surgery. There's still consequences that come after that. There's no guarantees about it. It's a risky surgery to begin with. I would just say that, you know, when he was tearing up his shoulders, I was like, you know, the shoulder's a really important joint, right? Because it goes this way, it goes this way. And your knee just sort of bends up, up and back, right? Like almost like your um your knuckle joint here, it just goes like this. Your shoulder can go any number of different directions. When you start messing with that, you start messing with the secret sauce a little bit. And that was bad enough. But then he came back and he looked pretty good, so I didn't think too much of it, right? The back injury, look, I'm not saying he won't recover from it. I think he will. I just sort of want to point out the accumulative toll is not just big. He's having an accumulative toll taken on key areas related to speed, explosion, balance, strength. Um <laughs> You know, there were, I posted an article recently from just prior to the Verdum fight where Velasquez is saying, you know, oh, criticisms about injury go in one ear, not the other. Look, this is the internet era. I can understand where he would be dismissive of most people who have no idea how he trains or what happens in the AKA gym or anything else like that. I understand that. But maybe it's time that they stop going out the other ear. Maybe it's time that, you know, some of it begins to be taken seriously because what is happening to him could be just simply a condition um of his biological existence i had there's studies to suggest that um people might be more injury prone than others for any number of reasons at least of which is some could have less collagen around important joints and um um you know connective tissue leading to things like more sprains once you have one sprain it becomes more susceptible to have previous or to have subsequent ankle sprains for example um that's one condition so maybe there's data to suggest that's his lot in life he's just going to be injured all the time but um whatever the case i'm just sort of saying we're i don't know that we're getting to a point of no return right away but man you're talking about both shoulders being jacked knees being jacked and your back that's bad it's bad it's really bad um that that is quite a toll to deal with Now that Hendricks versus Wonderboy is a five-round fight, does that change your view on who would likely win it? I'll be honest with you. I have not thought about this fight at all. Credit to uh, Hendricks for you know nearly dying trying to make weight previously and now coming out and saying, sure, I'll, I'll jump my fight from a three to a five-rounder. That's impressive. Um, Hendricks kind of fades a little bit, so I don't know how much that matters, but maybe with his new weight regimen and diet regimen this is not the same kind of concern anymore maybe that fading was a function of bad weight cutting um probably not in this particular case certainly if it goes long it would change my perspective but i don't know that this one goes past three anyway Uh, Luke, Dominic Cruz has been criticized by fans for his proneness to injury and his attitude. However, it seems like after his last win, he won over a lot of fans. 
Do you see Cain Velasquez getting the same response if he comes back from this injury and gets a win, or are these situations different? It doesn't feel like his fans have ever really embraced Velasquez, but I was surprised by the one that a lot of people did in regards to Cruz. Um, okay. Interesting question. Well, certainly, I think everyone would be happy if he comes back and looks phenomenal and he can get over the injury and he can compete and maybe challenge for the title again in a way where, you know, really putting it on Verdum or whoever holds it by that point. Yeah, of course. Everyone loves, not just, this isn't quite redemptive, but this is, um, you know, um, not letting the situation get out of hand, silencing some criticism. You know, I think some of the criticism is warranted, but still silencing it nevertheless. So, so sure, that would be a lot of that. I think the situation with Cruz was that Cruz was a really interesting fighter, but I think that, again, he was ahead of his time. He was, if you're asking me where most of the current innovation in MMA is happening, it's happening in striking, or at least things directly related to striking, um, other transition points. And so um, it took us a while to really appreciate what he was doing. That only happened kind of recently, and it happened recently because there's been you know other guys who are beginning to push some of these boundaries, McGregor being one of them, and um, and things like that. So he began he became part of a larger conversation that we previously didn't appreciate. That's the first part. I think the second part is that you know um, in his absence he began to wear fondly on fans in terms of his analysis on TV. Cain Velasquez will just go silent. I, I suspect I don't think he's very much of a dynamic media presence in that way. Um, so that helped. And then third, he had this sort of rivalry with Dillashaw that he was trying to either manufacture or milk, depending on how you want to um, perceive things. So uh, I guess what I would say is they are different because Cruz um, – you know, slowly but surely built up this goodwill. I think people began to feel sorry for him as well as, um, you know, in addition to appreciating his Fox commentary, they also felt really sad about all the injuries he had. Um, I think that was a key component of it as well. So, you know, it depends how long Velasquez is gone. It depends on what he does in his off time. It depends on who he fights when he comes back. It depends on how he looks when he comes back. But some of the other things that endeared Cruz to the fan base Will will be clearly absent in in Kane's sabbatical, however long that that is. Uh, "Quote unquote absolute garbage," said Conor McGregor. What are your thoughts on Conor's critique of the UFC's poster for 197? Do you feel the UFC has gotten lazy in their graphics and marketing? I agree with his sentiment. I actually dislike the new trend they've adopted since 189. It's so cookie cutter and bland. I miss the days of named events. Um. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a lot to be had or a lot to be said about this. And you could say, well, look at the posters, right? They're they're all basically look the same, and they do. And part of that reason is because um, I think sometimes events feel a little bit more individual to you based on what fights you're excited about or what results you see or who's competing and what they mean to you. But to the UFC, it's, you know, look, every fight matters. Every event matters. They, they put their best foot forward, I'm, I'm assuming, but... It's just you know, in, iterating these things with innovation between all of them is simply not possible. They have to streamline some things. 
They have to create some things where they can just duplicate the process with relatively minor adjustments and then keep going forward with it, right? And so I think poster making has been one of those things they've tried to streamline uh, to the extent possible, not seeing it as necessarily among all the other priorities, the biggest priority. But I thought McGregor made a great point during that 197 presser being like, you know, fight posters, the big ones, um, you remember those from boxing. You do. And, you know, if you go to Church Street Gym down in the uh, in lower Manhattan, you can see the walls are filled with all of these old boxing um, photos, or not photos, I'm sorry, posters from some of the biggest fights of my childhood and some before that, you know, uh, really an incredible place to go and look at that. Uh, and he's right to that extent. So look, here's what I would say. Does the UFC on Fox 18 poster really need to be ultra distinct from the UFC on Fox 17 poster? Probably not. Probably not. There's not a lot of cause to say we have to draw up this entire new scheme um, for this event you know, because it's so critically important. But to McGregor's point, it's a super fight. You have to put in a little bit more effort for that one, right? So I think he's missing the force for the trees a little bit, saying, I'm not understanding that from a business perspective, they have to they have to create a workflow that is feasible given the schedule of events. But he's also right when he says, okay, even if that's the case, fair enough. This is not your ordinary event. You know, it's so crazy to me. They're trying to turn it into a big pay-per-view like it's a normal title fight. It's so not a normal title fight. It's nothing like a normal title fight. And not having the belt with him and everything else like that. It's, you know, when they did it for BJ. It's just so cra- it's crazy to me. It's, no one is going to be confused that they these are one's an interim title or anything else like that. Everyone's going to know at the whole story Every media angle on ESPN, every radio interview, every journalist is going to do, every write-up on MMAfighting.com, every discussion in every chat room is going to be about size and weight class and what it all means and what, it, what it's going to look like and what happens if he wins, what happens if he loses, what does it mean for 145. The whole discussion is is based around this. No one is confused by introducing another belt or some other kind of stylish flair into the atmospherics to make it special. And I mentioned this on the MMA beat. I simply think that this is a, you know, people are saying, say, well, they're trying to put Connor down. Maybe, maybe there's something to that. I don't don't know for sure. But what I am much more comfortable in saying is they just, in 2015, there were two, two moments in particular, one where you saw the UFC really trying to do something special and make something special. And I talked about it. You saw Bellator doing it too. 2015 was many things, but, and Bellator got, you know, shadowed in a way but it was at least promoters trying to do something grandiose they were trying to do something ambitious they were trying to do something of intrigue and spectacle and size and um finely detailed curation and frankly in that sense something new you know, even if something as small as having Sinead O'Connor and the Donk from Stain to come out and, and sing live in the arena with the graphics package that was beamed onto the octagon, it just creates a certain level. It's 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 such a fine-tuned presentation. It's it's new, it's interesting, it's daring, it's challenging. Um, I think fans really appreciated that. And again, these are things that you can't replicate at scale for any number of reasons, not least which is the monetary cost. But um, that was a hallmark, I think, generally of of 2015 they did fewer cards they stacked them to the extent possible by the way i did a little 
a side note on this. Um, one of the reasons why I think oversaturation was felt less was not just because they did fewer events, but because um, so some of the maturation of um, the women's divisions helped a little bit. Rousey leading the charge as both a headliner and a pay-per-view headliner, and you had more women than ever headlining or co-main eventing um, cards in 2015, a condition that, which I think you'll see continue in 2016, sort of pointing out that um, if you have more high-level MMA holding position in these top spots, it leaves less room at the bottom for bad MMA. And um, um, it's, it's a complicated side note, but long story short, in 2016, I think they're going to try and continue that curation, that um, making things special effort um, to continue. But this was just a misstep. This was just a misstep. Not so much the poster per se, but what the poster signifies that, okay, it's a big fight. They're going to treat it like a big fight, but they're not going to treat it any more than a big fight. That seems to me a missed, a missed opportunity there. That seems to me an, an imperfect calculation. Um, it, it is more than that, right? It is more than that. It is, it is significantly more than that. It should be treated as such. Um, it's a special moment in time. could be a historical moment in time. It's a, money generating moment in time it's not like it's not worth putting in the resources because there's no there's no you know return on your investment you know you're going to make a bunch of cash on this um you already made a bunch of cash last year there's really no cause to not do more for this particular event guy jumping up in weight class as a title holder to potentially win another title seems to me you should do more for that Going back to the point about the women, all, all I mean to say is um, the introduction of the women means you have more high-level athletes to pick from to headline shows, which means you don't have less subpar from elite men occupying those positions. Now, you have all the elite men who should be there, but you also have all the elite women taking up that space, plus with less shows, plus in the second half of the year having fewer injuries, generally speaking, um, to cards. What it did was it created a lot more top heaviness that was readily felt. That's something that we don't think we appreciated in 2015. We talked about the fewer shows and stacking the cards. Part of the reason why they were able to stack those cards is, one, the maturation of the 115 division, and two, not just the maturation of 135, all that's still pretty far behind, but you have Rousey as this dynamic, attractive, in terms of money-generating potential headliner. Um, so really, if you're thinking about one of the things that went right for the UFC in 2015 was that the addition of the two women's divisions cut out a lot of extra garbage because it made them, it made it a natural priority that they could put at the top cards. And I think you'll see more of that in 2016. I think that's a big factor in why 2015 just didn't feel as onerous. It didn't watch as much bad MMA in 2015 as a consequence. Um, how do you think you, the UFC should have handled Verdum pulling out? Should they have put Stipe in with Just Barnett? Should they have made the Davis versus Diaz versus Pettis fight? Was pulling the event from pay-per-view and making Hendricks Thompson the main event the right move? Yeah, interesting question. So um, I actually wanted to do a little research about this, uh, and so I did, and I was trying to figure this out. Um, hang on just a second here because I got something I want to not read exactly, but I want to um, – let's see. Here, here we go. I got it. Okay. Let me see something here. Uh Okay, they have 
All right. So I was a big believer that there really wasn't a good cause to rob Peter to pay Paul here. Um, this weekend's card is weak. It's not particularly strong. There's there's some good fights on it, but as a card, it's not great. Um, and the 196 card is not great either, just sort of saying honestly. Even with Verdum and uh, Velasquez, had they stayed being the headliner, obviously that that's a pay-per-view worthy fight. I understand that, but it should just sort of be noteworthy to you that once that fight is removed, the card simply doesn't hold up as a pay-per-view attraction anymore. Um, there's no second. I mean, if you had lost, God forbid, if you had lost McGregor versus Aldo, that's still a fight you can put on pay-per-view. Easy, like that, that, that event. Not the case here. And again, not everyone can be that way, but just understanding that there's a, sometimes there's a thin line between pay-per-view and free TV, and they crossed it, and they made the right call. My understanding is as follows. Um, I cannot guarantee this because I don't think UFC would speak to this, but in talking to other people within the industry, um, my my understanding is the UFC has an insurance policy with these uh, pay-per-view providers so that if a main event bout like this is scrapped because of injury, um, the insurance policy covers any potential losses they might have or any debts they might owe. There are losses to be had, namely, all the marketing costs they've already paid for, uh, and two, the essential future loss of what you would have had. So let's say that car would have done, let's say, I don't know, I'm going to make this up. This is probably in the high end, but let's just say 150,000 pay-per-view buys. So there's a lot of money to be had there that you're not going to get in this particular case. I don't know how it works with Fox Sports in terms of whether they get a licensing fee for this particular event. Or, or not, but my understanding is there's an insurance policy when the main event falls through to their injury that they don't have to come out of pocket for it. Um, it's already it's already covered, but they still incur the losses they've already paid for in terms of marketing. Again, I think some of these MSOs share that cost, um, and then there's the loss of you, you know whatever you lose in terms of people returning their tickets, um, what you would have made on pay per view, everything else. So that's what you lose there. But all things being equal, that's not all that bad. Um, it's a good nod to the customer because you know it is a free TV event at this point. It's not, it's not pay per view. And um, you could have taken Bisping versus Silva, but then you would have ruined a fight pass card. You could have taken Barnett versus, let's say Rothwell, but then you kind of ruin basically the best fight on Fox's card, and you still really don't have a decent headliner unless you make an interim title fight, but that wouldn't be fair to Verdun because as he's saying, he's going to come right back. He's not out for a year. Just needs a couple more months. Um, you could have had, you know, Stipe fight John Jones for the title, but what would that do? Again, you're putting an interim title where one doesn't need to be. There, there just wasn't really a good answer is the long story short. There just wasn't a good answer. There wasn't a fight you could easily lift from another card without a damaging that card and B not really salvaging this card. Making it better, sure. Salvaging it to the point where it could retain the space in pay-per-view, not really, unfortunately. So they really did the right thing. They said, look, what do we really have here? If Kane's gone, for Doom's gone, let's look at this card. What's really here? What's really there as a good fight night card? A great fight night card. And this is sort of the interesting thing that the UFC is doing. And I, I kind of applaud them for it. It's not merely that this is one less pay-per-view in a year where, remember, there's only 10 pay-per-views between last July and this coming UFC 200. So they're already cutting down on the number of pay-per-view, and now they've lost another one. 
you know, that's a big financial hit to the UFC. They had a good year, but okay, that's not great for them starting things off in 2016. But they avoid criticism, not merely because that's another $60 in your pocket as a consumer, but because if this were on pay-per-view, not only would the money be less and you'd be kind of upset about it, you would judge the quality against the expectation that you plunked 60 bucks down on the table. Now all you have to do is pay your cable bill. Well, that's a lot easier to manage. In other words, you're going to look at the card quality. You're going to say, I judge a card quality differently depending on what medium it's on. It's on free TV. I will be much more lenient about things. I will let some things slide that you maybe wouldn't be so lenient with were it on pay-per-view. In that sense, the UFC avoids all this criticism. Um, it was smart. It's a it's a give back to the customer. They avoid criticism. They look like heroes. It's the right call. They have an insurance policy against it. They already had a big year. So it's good they had a good 2015 because this is not an ideal circumstance for 2016, but you get the idea now. Um, thoughts about Habib versus Ferguson. What are the chances Ferguson ending Habib's amazing winning streak? Um, I actually think they are good, unfortunately. Um, Habib knows better than me. He knows himself better than me, but he's been inactive for a very long time. When was the last time he fought? Let's just take a look at that, shall we? Pull this joker up. He's 27, too. He's McGregor's age. Uh... He hasn't fought since April of 2014. So, so yeah, that's a big problem. Um, you know, nearly two years away from the sport, if not outright two years away from the sport, that's too. Uh, that's just too long. That's just too long. Um, I probably actually would favor Ferguson in that, in that particular contest simply because he's getting better every time. He hits hard. He's got real fundamental... Uh, wrestling. He's got creative scrambles when he needs them. Um, he's offensive in all positions. I would still say if you know if he had a tune-up fight first, I might favor Nurmagomedov. But you know, look, not everyone's dominant Cruz, and for two years off, I don't like his chances, which is a pain for me to admit because I think you guys know I think the world of Nurmagomedov, and I think he'll be fine. I think he'll return to the top eventually, or at least contend for a title sooner rather than later and maybe he beats ferguson i don't think ferguson wins in a blowout i just mean you know for a guy who is reliant on control positions it is true that sometimes ferguson takes risks to the point where he succumbs to them but he also is so dynamic with um scrambles that i don't know and you know nimmer comes in leaping into range I guess a guy who's got a big, long punch with a heavy shot at the end of it. I don't know. And who's been active. Uh, would you agree that Verdum... Uh, would you agree that Verdum's explanation for turning down the Miocic fight is one of the more bizarre reasonings given for turning down championship contenders so far? Maybe bizarre in terms of what is publicly revealed. I guarantee you other fighters have done this before and never talked about it. Verdum's sin was not that the calculation he made was somehow ultra-controversial. It's that the prevailing wisdom of the community and the prevailing norms of the fan base are so out of touch that fighters have to be dishonest about what they say publicly for fear of reprisal. 
if you think Verdum is the first champion to ever make this kind of calculation, I have some oceanfront property in Arizona I'd like to sell you. Someone says, it's not the injury, but the apparent willingness to fight Velasquez injured out of respect, but not Miocic. I don't think his willingness to fight Velasquez has even the slightest thing to do with respect. Um, maybe in the sense of, I owe you a rematch, I'll give you one. But it's much more likely that, A, he's already beaten Velasquez and feels very comfortable at his chances in beating him again, even not quite feeling all that great. And number two, perhaps more importantly, he'd make money fighting Velasquez. The rest of that 196 card is not all that great by pay-per-view standards, but by any measurement, Velasquez versus Verdum 2 is a pay-per-view quality headliner, period. Heavyweight championship of the world, a rematch. And I wasn't even in favor of the rematch. It's still a big fight. It's a pay-per-view worthy fight. Those are not two guys who are ever going to be fighting in those circumstances on free TV. It's never going to happen. So, um, so I I would think that that is a monetary consideration. Plus, if you're going to risk fighting Miocic on short notice, and you're not going to make any money, you know, come on, you could take you could take that logic to another sucker, but it doesn't work around here. But that said, if you like fighters who just show up, you know, having. Um, just gone to their children's funeral and missing a foot by all means cheer them on man it is there is there is something to be said for um you know violence born out of stoicism irrespective of circumstance but um you know being surprised that elite prize fighters act in calculating rational ways where they don't accept any and all forms of risk uh should not be a revelation to you it should not at this point and if you think that other fighters haven't done this before and concealed it or camouflaged it with some other logic, not sure what to tell you. Let's see here. All right. Yeah, and Jacek, Gedalia, and the Ultimate Fighter. It seems the UFC is really committed to pushing the current women's strawweight champion as not only are she and her contender coaching next season of the Ultimate Fighter, but their fight is going to be on the night before UFC 200. How do you feel about this level of push for Yin Jacek and the fight? Do you think it will be successful in drawing attention to the division? And from a more technical point of view, do you think the long delay for the fight plays more for Yin Jacek or Gedalia's benefit? Seems that UFC is really committed to pushing the current women's strawweight champion as not only are she and her contender coaching next season, but their fight is going to be... Oh, Jesus Christ, you repeated your question tw twice. Okay. Um, love it. Uh, as we saw with 194, if you can build uh, cards that are good enough around a big event, certainly UFC 200 promises to be quite big. Um, it can have a halo effect. It can have a bit of a runover effect too, but it can have a halo effect depending on how things go. Um I like I like that uh, they're promoting them as much as they are. I think she's a dynamic presence. Even with her limited English, she commands a stage. She commands a microphone and everyone's attention. She has a fan-friendly fighting style. She has a rivalry. She has a rival willing to also, um, you know, make use of the cameras before her. There's very little to dislike about that. Now, does that mean I have even the slightest interest in watching them on the show? No. I mean, it's just I can't I can't watch it anymore. It has nothing to do with anything that's even in, remotely interesting about mixed martial arts anymore. But as a mechanism to promote 
on Fox Sports 1 and an eventual uh, fight between them, sure. Absolutely. I think it's great. I think it's a great call. See, I would much rather go with um, a title fight that's a rematch between two well, um, well-trained, well-matched, evenly matched um, elite fighters than, you know, uh, retreads just because they happen to be men. Um, now I, I don't want to see women promoted just because they're women either, but if you're looking at what the ingredients are that go into a successful ultimate fighter, both in terms of the season itself, having dynamic coaching presences, um, and then ultimately the payoff, which is the fight they're promoting between the coaches when the season's over, this has virtually all of the raw ingredients you could need. And I think everyone has said, you know, why are they promoting Rousey? Why are they promoting Rousey? Why are they promoting Rousey? Well, you know, promoting Rousey makes a lot of sense. But to the point, the, the, the question is, you know, if you're going to promote Rousey, look what you have here in Jacek. Okay, the Letourneau fight was tough, but she's historically been pretty dominant so far in the UFC for the most part. I mean, you know, the Gadelia fight was close. That's why they're going to do it again. But otherwise, she's been really dominant against Esparza, against uh, Jessica Penny. And, you know, the Letourneau fight was kind of tough, but she still looked pretty good in that one and kind of pulled away at the end. Um, you know, she's interesting. Um she can be good for potentially open up, opening up some overseas market, markets, and she can be another um, addition to the um, growth of female fans in mixed martial arts. She can be part of that Rousey phenomenon. Rousey will do more in that regard. It, it just makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. Again, I, the ultimate fighter is just unwatchable at this point um, for someone like me, but you know, if they're going to keep going with it, uh, this is the right way to go forward with it. Uh, Luke, do you think Conor McGregor was just given major ammo against Rafael Dos Anjos and King's MMA because of Fabrizio Verdum dropping out of UFC 196? Uh, well, sort of. I mean, yes and no. The answer is no because I don't see what that would do. But the answer is yes because McGregor doesn't need a whole lot to turn it into something. Um, to, he doesn't need a lot of material to make his own cudgel, you know. He doesn't need a whole lot um, of anything to make something. So, prime example, you know, Dos Anjos moving from Brazil to the United States to get the kind of training and preparation he needs to be an elite fighter, an entirely sensible decision that has incontestably paid off, um, but probably has its own set of difficulties. He turned that into a weapon against him. That is not something that ever would have occurred to me or many of you to be something that you can turn on someone. Um, but he has, so, so sure. I mean, any kind of small misstep perceived or otherwise McGregor will jump on. I don't think this will be as much of a talking point as, um, whatever else happens in Brazil in their media tour they go on, but sure. I mean, he'll bring it up. I just don't see it as something defining in that way, you know? Uh, would you have thrust Anthony Pettis versus Nate Diaz into the UFC 196 main event slot if both of them had been game? I wouldn't. I think they made the right call. It's not that that's not a good fight, or it's not that it's not a fight I want to see. It is. It's a. It's a not. It's a really important fight. 
I'm not sure it's a great main event headliner for a pay-per-view. It's not a bad one. I'm not sure it's a great one. And what I would much rather see is that fight made down the road and added to another card. I'm just willing to eat what they did. Let's lower our standards as fans by putting it on free TV. Now we're not nearly as judgmental about the card. Financially, it hurts the UFC. But as a fan, as a consumer, not a fan, as a consumer, it makes a little bit more sense to me to say, I'll wait on this one if you give me that later on as part of a grander event. I would much rather, again, I am much, I don't know how you guys feel about it, and you might have a completely different ethos about it and sensibilities about things. For me, I am willing to eat a couple of bad events in a row if you give me some great ones. If you give me some punctuated moments in the course of the year, rather than sort of this general doesn't really change. I'll take here if I can get here. I think this is always going to be, even if you have this, is always going to be, let me put it this way. Even if you have this, getting this is always going to be more interesting than this. It just is. The stuff that happens here is dramatically more interesting. MMA looks like a different sport here. Here is Cruz versus Dillashaw. Here is the two top 30 middleweights in the world. It, they're, they're different sports almost. They don't look the same. They don't feel the same. Nothing. Um, I know some fans have an appetite for fighting such that they almost don't care. I can't believe that, but it is true. But for me, um, when you get into that rarefied air, when you get the guys who can, who can climb Everest, it's a different, it's a different thing that's happening. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't sound the same. It doesn't even, it doesn't even, there's no, it's so completely removed from the rest of mixed martial arts. Mixed martial arts, you know, you can, I can look at the, I mean, look, I, I feel like anyway, I can look at the levels at this point and tell them apart. I've called amateur fights. I've called low-level regional fights. I've been to mid-level pro fights. I've been to high-level pro fights. I've been to elite pro fights um, for the better part of a decade now and, and more than that. I feel like I've got a sense of what they all look like. I will just say you can definitely see the difference between the levels. But at this point, for me, I'm not saying the other ones aren't interesting. You can have all different kinds of vested interests or you know, different kinds of um, thresholds for entertainment or whatever the case may be. But at this stage in my life, the stuff that happens up here is so special and so rare and so hard to come by. Um, not just in terms of individual fights, but when cards are built like that, that I can't pass them up. I just can't pass them up. I would much rather save. Let's 196 basically wasn't salvageable. It just wasn't, not for pay per view purposes. If you accept that premise and you you say, I'm not going to p- try and plug these leaks, they're just going to be what they are. That gives you the opportunity to say, we still have the other, we still have um, Silver versus Bisping on Fight Pass. We're still going to have a good heavyweight fight for the Fox card. We can keep Pettis and Diaz in the back pocket of some other card down the line uh, and make that one even better. That makes me happier. Let's jump down to the bottom here a little bit. Let me go all the way to the bottom. Look at some of these.
Someone says, get your hands on some Julius by Treehouse or Hetty Topper. Great IPAs. All right, I'll give them a try. Um, top three UFC fights ever. Okay, I won't give you top three UFC fights ever because I don't think of things like that. Let me tell you one of my most underrated fights that I love. I love this fight. Carl Parisian versus Diego Sanchez. Has to be one of my all-time favorite fights. Um, I love the style matchup. I love the clash, the the energies that both guys had. That was before Caro was, um, you know, lost uh, as a fighter. And Caro lost that one, but boy, he put in his licks along the way, man. Um, and that was when I thought Diego Sanchez was really, that was like a technical breakout moment for him too, you know. It was mostly his hustle that won that fight, but it's just so weird to watch Diego Sanchez now as like this guy who just sort of bites down and comes forward and doesn't move his head because the way he was developing himself was as a guy who was a real technical force to be dealt with. A guy who, you know, tried to put it on Marcelo Garcia at ADCC. Couldn't in the end, but, you know, didn't just like try and muscle his way through a guard pass. He tried to do it technical. Um and that, that, to me, was one of those breakout moments for him. And I, leading into the fight, I just couldn't decide. And it wound up being one of those things where, you know, you couldn't decide even when the fight was going on. It was pretty tight. It was pretty close action. And uh, if you have fight pass, I recommend it to the highest degree. Carl Parisian versus Diego Sanchez, if you've never seen it. That is a sick, sick fight. True false, DC will fight Bader for the vacant light heavyweight title in 2017. Mighty Mouse chirping. In Ariel's interview, Demetrius Johnson is clearly being more than a Boy Scout, swearing, calling out Mayweather and Rousey. Does he need to do it more publicly, or is it more that his opponents are doing no promotion, that his fights are not drawing much? Anything different is better. Um, why is it impossible to renegotiate a contract for an ADS? It is not Im- impossible but the parties are not obligated to do so, so why would they? Uh, look, how the UFC deals with criticism. The fact that they have banned Brendan Schaub from UFC now, to me, it somewhat hinders their case in the ongoing lawsuit, as well as fan perspective when it comes to judging how much they can deal with taking constructive criticism. Considering how Schaub said on Joe Rogan's show that he is Team UFC, whether that is true or not, again, doesn't help the UFC well, Schaub doesn't have the biggest following out there. Well, his podcast, let me say something about his podcast. I don't really listen to The Fighter and the Kid. It, it doesn't work for me. I like Brendan Schaub a lot. I like Bre- uh, Brian Cowan a lot. I think they're smart guys. Let me say this. That podcast is a hit. A true, let me pull up iTunes. You guys don't even appreciate this. Let me just point this out to you. If you have a podcast where you can go on the road and record it live and sell tickets, bro, you have a major hit on your hands. And I know that some people are like, Brendan Job, really? Yes, dude, really. It's not a joke. Uh, let me pull up the podcast here. The Fighter and the Kid is a true hit. 
let's see. They're like at the top of Stitcher. They're at the top of a bunch of stuff. Hang on. Here we go. So you look at all categories. Let's go to sports. And you look at um, top podcasts. Where are they right now? Let's see. Some of these, I don't understand how they're that good. Well, I guess they're kind of at a low end right now, but historically they have been really high. Um, boy, Shaq has a podcast. Ric Flair has a podcast. Every Donk has a podcast. Bill Simmons. Oh, Fighter and the Kid is 13. Understand who's ahead of them. You know, uh, the Low Post, Zach Lowe, I believe, Mike and Mike. Garbage time with Katie Nolan. That's surprising. Um, Colin Coward, PTI, Jalen and Jacoby, Bud Light, Stone Cold Steve Austin, First Take, and that's about it. That's the company they're in in terms of podcasting. It's a huge hit. So um, whatever else you think of Brendan Schaub, he does have a big following in that regard. I may not show up in other ways. It shows up there. That's the first thing I'd say. But look, here's my thought on this whole thing. Look, the UFC doesn't take criticism well. They got super thin skin. They always have. Their president lashes out at people on Twitter. That I think that culture bleeds into every part of their um, organization. You know, sometimes they have a right to push back against criticism. And sure, like anybody else, they often unfairly get criticized. But that's the way for every billion-dollar organization. They, they, you know, um, they get one-tenth of what other companies have to go through in a lot of other circumstances. They get a lot more in some cases than what other companies have to go through because of the nature of what, is, what they do. They sh- you would think that a company that engages in professional cage fighting would, would you know, um, would be a little bit more receptive to the idea that what they do inherently is going to draw the ire of some. But And they've gotten a lot better than they used to be. Let's all also be clear about that. They're not nearly as heavy-handed about trying to police all the bad things people say about them that they used to. So their, their, their PR staff is significantly better in, in that regard, credit where credit is due. But look, they generally have thin skin. They don't take criticism well. They never have. And I don't think they ever will, at least not under the current leadership. It's just, it's just a part of their existence. So, you know, for Brendan Schaub to say that is in, I, you know, let's take him at his word. Um, entirely unsurprising. But here's the other part about this: Who watches UFC now? I've never seen that, and I'm on the internet all day long, all day long. UFC now is marginal programming. It's not as big as Embedded. It's not as big as Countdown shows. It's not as big as anything. It's it's a very small thing that they do. So being banned from that is hardly some. Um, sacrifice the UFC is making by not having Shab on it and Shab's really not hurting himself in any kind of real capacity by not being on it either. But you know, yes, if you're asking, does the UFC have thin skin? Yes, of course they do. They always have. Connor's Versace shirt in an era where Reebok is taking shoes away from guys at an open workout and steep fines are put on fighters for a slight wardrobe infraction. Why is it that an official UFC press conference where the athletes can only wear Reebok or suits can Connor wear a Versace shirt with no repercussions? How do you know there were no repercussions? We find out about these fines after the fact. Uh, let's see. 
At what age would you say it is too late to start training, master, and compete in MMA at a professional level? Well, a professional level means outside of UFC, arguably outside of World Series of Fighting, outside of Bellator. So at that age, you're never too late, to be perfectly honest. There's going to be a regional show that will take you anywhere almost. But if you're asking to like, how, you know, make a living from it, um, you know... I don't know. It changes for everybody, but I'll just give you an example. There are a lot of these guys you see. I'm, I'm seeing some of these, um, you know, Latin American guys who used to wrestle and are finally coming around to the idea. Not Spanish speaking Latin America, not Brazil. Finally coming around to the idea. There's some money to be made in MMA. And you see them 31, 33. It's too late. You know, though they might make it to the UFC and they might win a couple times, but you're not going to last very long you know you need to be you need to have something done um you know be in the ufc and winning with several bouts under your belt in the organization before 30 i feel like if you want to do something really sensational with it you see these guys are like oh i'm gonna be 31 i'm just starting out in mma it's not gonna work barbus is here and he's harassing me uh let's see Someone asked another question about judging, and they say, rather than having a 10-9, why not have a percentage score? Every round is scored based on a percentage rather than points. A close round would be 50-50, while a blowout would be around 90-10, 90%, 10%. At the end of the fight, each competitor's percentages are combined for a total score. I know this wouldn't help judges' perception much, but it would definitely eliminate a close 10-9 round from being considered the same as a dominant 10-9 round. Thoughts on this? Look, I don't know what is going to... Here's my thoughts on judging. Until you have data to support an alternative system, you're just issuing a conjecture with no proof that it works. Your idea, sir, might be wonderful. In fact, it might even be significantly better than the 10-point must system, but we have no data to prove it. This is what I am looking for. We need data. If you're, you're asking about a fundamental shift in the way in which we view and calculate winning, if you're going to shift from one paradigm to the next, you need to have a substantial body of work to prove that what you have is a real-time, right-away, institutable system. So I get emails all the time from well-intentioned readers saying, look, I've got an idea. Here's my system. It would work like this, 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 this. It would require that, 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 that. We'd change this. We'd bring in this. And here's what it would look like. And in theory, they all sound quite wonderful. They're all quite smart. This gentleman's question is, in fact, very smart. But it's the same response I'm going to keep giving you. You're just theorizing. That's it. That's all you're doing is just theorizing. You need to have data. This has to be backed up by something. Let's see. Luke, is it possible that the injuries we are seeing are the new norm with the USADA partnership? Did the UFC factor in fight card disarray into their plans for a clean sport? I know that PEDs typically allow people to train harder and recover faster and wonder if it's a legitimate reason for the slew of injuries. Look, I am sure that the UFC's push for um, smarter, not harder training about working with those other various companies in terms of modernizing training techniques, both for fighters and coaches, and for having that training center at their facility. I am sure a huge chunk of that is well-intentioned them just wanting to do the right thing. I also think that they're realists and they're also 
they're realists in a way where they say to themselves, look, there probably are some guys currently in the sport and in our organization who are using. And when they get off, that is going to potentially increase the likelihood of injuries. When there more injuries happen, more fight cards get disturbed. So we need to have some recourse in here, both in the immediate sense and in the long-term plan to deal with that sort of thing, which all seems to be very reasonable and appropriate. But it is still too early to tell what kind of effect USADA is having in that regard. Let's let's wait another year. Let's wait another two years, and then we can really begin to see um, what kind of effect that's having. I do think it'll make the sport younger in relation to the previous question about how old's too old. Um, it'll make the sport younger generally because I don't think guys are going to be able to recover long enough to be able to compete late, with some exceptions everywhere. Um, but it's there's just not enough data. We need data. Quote, unquote, you got to take it from the champ. Aren't notions like you got to take it from the champ or don't leave it in the hands of the judges sad, meat-headed mantras left from the just bleed era that are unfortunately hanging around? If MMA is a professional sport, shouldn't you be able to rely on the judges at the highest levels of the sport to be able to make a competent decision? And shouldn't fans get that at this point? Yes. Um, again, there is there are these views, these are these normative perspectives, there's a way in which the fan base uh, and, and media included, to an extent, view the world, view the MMA world. And one is that I mentioned previously in relation to Verdum. Oh, are these fighters, you know, you're the champ. You should be able to fight anyone on a moment's notice. Okay, well, I mean, he's not a sheriff going to round up bandits at the general store. So, no, that's not true. Um Another is you got to take it from the champ as if there is this one threshold for beating someone in this condition and there is another threshold for beating someone in a championship condition. The only difference between the two is simply that a championship fight is five rounds in any and all cases. Um, that's it. There's no other alternative scoring criteria. There is no alternate method of judging. There is no alternate method of anything. That's the only difference. Um, you know, there might be something more satisfying about a Luke Rockhold over Chris Weidman type win. And I would agree that there is something more satisfying, you know, when a challenger goes in there and just basically unequivocally beats the guy. Um, yeah, I like that better too. It's clean. It's neater. It just works better. Unfortunately, those kinds of arrangements are hard to come by. They're few and far between. And, um, holding on to these old notions or, or I don't know what they are because it's not like they had place in the sport before. Um, there's just the sense of that. When you walk into a title bout, you walk in as the champion in that cage, you're the champion. Once the, once the door seals, no one's champion. You're fighting to keep it. it, it that's it. Um, but the question is, like, when will fans get that? I, I don't know. I think this will be an enduring challenge to explain this to them. Um, I don't know any other way to handle the problem except to go on a constant and undying quest to explain this to people. But it, it, it it's not it's not if you're thinking that we, we, two more months of explaining this to fans and they'll get it. I don't. I think this is an enduring challenge. Will flat earth be a mainstream theory in 2016? 
Um, I don't know who this dumbass rapper is that's either mentally disturbed, uh, irredeemably stupid, or uh, trolling for attention. I also don't know who Lil B, the based god, is, although I'm sure he follows me on Twitter because he follows half the uh, free world. I am just too old to spend energy. Like, there are articles to be read about, like, what's happening in Flint, Michigan. Or, um, for example, the Wall Street Journal had some great data visualization about the makeup of Trump's fan base, irrespective of your politics. It's actually really worth checking out. Very, very cool. I'm not going to spend my attention dollars on that. I'm going to spend my attention dollars on, to the extent possible, things of substance. Now, I'm sure I will stray invariably in that quest, but um, I only have X amount of attention dollars every day to spend, and it would be borderline criminal to follow along on the utterly, (laughs) on the utterly insignificant, moronic, uh, nonsense by, you know, I don't even know what to tell you. I just don't know what to say anymore. It is, uh, it's not even worth reading about as a means of, um, pop cultural literacy that in of itself is a waste. I'd, I'd rather die, basically, than talk about that. Uh, CM Punk, a professional MMA fighter. I was wondering, when he fights, will it be amateur, professional, or professional? How can this be? You do not have to be an amateur first to compete as a professional. And in fact, it will be professional because if he fights Mickey Gall, Mickey Gall has already had a professional fight. Once you have declared professional, you cannot go back and then declare as an amateur. You can have a number of amateur fights. I'm not sure if there's a limit on that. That might be a state issue. Um, they may not approve you to compete anymore at a certain point, uh, depending on how many amateur fights you've had. But uh, that's unclear to me. But certainly what is not unclear is that if once you declare it professional and you have one professional bout, that's it. Can't go back. Um, so, so that's how Punk would do that. He would just declare, I'm a pro. And the sanctioning body, the athletic commission in this case, would say, um, we either will or won't. I would laugh my ass off if he is denied a pro license. I don't think it'll happen, but let's see if that fight takes place in Texas. In any event, like this, uh, the Bellator fight, which I'm covering, but I'm going to cover that is exactly what it is. Absolute total freak show. Um, but you know, Kimball Slice has a professional license. He has professional bouts. Um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But to answer your question, um, it's just whether or not he was granted a professional license by the relevant athletic commission. That's it. Uh, let's two fifteen. Let's go to the Twitter machine if we can. I don't know who this is. Some clown. Um, should Maya get a title shot if he beats Brown convincingly? I know this may upset some, but I would still like, like to see Tyron Woodley get one beforehand. But I wouldn't be surprised if he got one. 
Would Pettis be the big betting favorite against Nate Diaz? I think he would be a betting favorite, yes. I don't know about big, but yes. I think I think why most of the people are upset with Verdun pulling out is they are still sore about UFC 151. There are certainly some similarities. Now, that was on much shorter notice, but that almost made Jones's case even stronger. Like, you know, you want to fight this guy on what kind of condition? Nah. If UFC says no to Lawler Condit 2 rematch, Nick Diaz rematch would be the next best option for Carlos. Agree? You guys are going to laugh at me and, t- and spit in my face. I'm just saying this. I'm not saying it's the most deserved thing in the world, or I would not understand if you were upset about it. I'm just telling you, if the UFC made Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler 2, fresh off suspension for Nick Diaz, fresh off of how many losses now, your boy would not be upset. I would not be upset. I'm just saying. Uh, will UFC 196 be canceled in name? I don't know what they're going to do about that. They might, I guess, turn it into a fight night or something. I don't know. We'll see. If they do, everything else still has to stay the same, though. They can't just change the name of everything else. So we'll see how that goes. So it says, not everyone can be like Cowboy Cerrone. True. Cowboy Cerrone is unique for those reasons. Uh, why do you think Tarverdian neglected to disclose those arrests on the corner application? Um, well, because he didn't think anyone was going to check. Let's see. How many more public executions, a.k.a. cyborg fights, can Invicta put on before we start feeling guilty watching them? Oh, I suspect that threshold is going to be a while. Most of the time, people feel bad when a figure of note or a beloved figure ages, and they take the beating. But there is virtually no case where someone is a figure of strength and power and top position beating up other people badly and people getting upset about it especially when those other people are anonymous. In other words, it may be the case where if you see a gross mismatch in a high-profile case um, and there's this extended beating, that might be bad. But Cyborg's opponent, they take a beating, but the fights are stopped usually pretty quickly. Um, No one knows who they are, even though they have professional credentials. When I say no one, I mean the average fan. Your hardcore fans are obviously pretty well-equipped. But more than that, it's not happening on a big stage. There's not a lot of criticism to be had because not enough people are watching it. If there's a few more people, there might be something to say about it. Um, Let's see. Is it possible that Ronda Rousey is more popular now than prior to her loss to Holly Holm? Either way, if it's a little bit more or a little bit less, it's a negligible difference. How lucrative would a fight between Lesnar and Fedor be? Is it plausible, and where would it take place? Uh, It is plausible. I suspect it would take place in Japan if it happened at all, but the chances of it happening seem to me uh, relatively slim. Uh, What kind of web traffic does Invicta do compared to World Series of Fighting and a non-tentpole Bellator event? Uh, None of those do particularly well. I'll put it to you that way. What is the biggest fight the UFC can put on in 2016? Man. Um, maybe Connor versus GSP. Right? I'm trying to think of something bigger than that. 
Will Cain Velasquez ever regain the UFC heavyweight crown? Unlikely, but I wouldn't count him out. Will Verdum's decision take a toll on relations with the UFC a la John Jones? Probably, but he's still the champion, so they can't be too upset about it. Andrelay Silva being released by the UFC in his future. Yeah, uh, this was great to see. Um, I thought it was kind of gross that they were holding him, but you know he was also doing some things that maybe he shouldn't have been done. It looked to me like they didn't acknowledge it publicly, but they looked to me like there was some. There, it just had every telltale sign that a bunch of lawyers reached an agreement. Um, you know, look if he can get a, he's had a number of knockouts too. I don't think we should be dismissing his the brain damage he's taken. Um, but to the extent he can get a license, uh, he is free to go do some other things. Uh, at a minimum, I suppose he can go and do, um, you know, Dave and Buster's appearances. We'll see if Bellator signs him. If you were the bosses, would you have taken Jones up on his request to save UFC 196? No. And if you're going to rob Peter to pay Paul, you don't want to rob um, the biggest things you have. You want to rob something where it doesn't damage the top stock of another event, and that would do that. John Jones only headlines, you know. Do you think Brown should pursue a defamation suit against his ex-wife? I don't even want to be remotely involved in that. How much of a fighter's purse goes to taxes on uh, their coach and manager? Uh, I have something. I have a post I'm working on about this, so stay I, stay tuned. I got some stuff coming out about that. Uh, people are asking me if, and I've had this asked me a number of times. Did Connor use a racial slur against Rafael dos Anjos, the S word? Um, I went back and listened. I thought he was saying "speak," not the racial slur. So I don't think. That's what he did. Why didn't they put it on Fight Pass, um, the UFC 196? Because that would be too much of a crazy departure. They are trying to push Fight Pass, but it'd be it'd be you know trying to get subscribers is a steady push that you do over time, slowly, slowly, slowly. It's not you're not going to get everyone all in this one moment. Moreover, they want a presence that's really visible. So they can promote themselves in conjunction with the Super Bowl festivities. Now, not geographically co-located. One's going to be in California, and this is still going to be in Las Vegas. But generally being a part of the heightened media buzz, trying to ride that. If you put everything behind a paywall on an online streaming service, you know, WWE Network notwithstanding, you reduce your overall visibility of your event. So I think they were trying to avoid that. And again, there might actually be some um, insurance issues relative to if you're going to take the fight off pay-per-view, because the headliners have pulled out due to injury, the insurance may only cover you such that you go to uh, a television platform and not another one. Now, I don't know that to be sure, sure, but it's something worth thinking about uh, going forward. Let's see. Take a couple more of these from Twitter. If you have to fight in the octagon in two weeks, which fighter would you help? Would you pick to help prepare? Like if I had to fight. I, mean, I just wouldn't fight. I'd just go in there and lay down. Oops. There we go. I'd pull the old Bob Sap. Is Rivera versus Alcantara flying under the radar? Should be a fun fight, but not really all that interesting. 
an educated guess on how much money the UFC will lose. Wow. Um, several million. Several million. Put it that way. Let's say f- in the ballpark of five million. I think it's my best guess, but I can't be sure. Uh, does the NSAC per- personally profit from the fines? No, they don't keep the money. The money goes to the state. Sage Northcutt fires back in the only way he knows how. Sage defended the money he has been making, saying that he brings something different to the table. He said, I bring something different that's of value to the UFC. I think that's really important with the UFC and people can see that with me. I suppose that's true. Uh, are other fighters right to be angry or does young Sage have a valid point that challenges the current way of thinking? I mean, he's got a point. He's got an interesting story. He's very different. He's got this crazy background in martial arts and he was built up a part of the show and everything else. But um, yeah, he is unique in that sense. But, you know, everyone's always like, what, the UFC needs this? They can't go on with this guy? If they cut Sage Northcutt, like, is this the end of the world? No, it's not. So he's not so valuable in that regard. I think most people's gripes are that he shouldn't be making this much more early into his tenure, that there's something to be said for, um, you know, not just any old guy getting all the money in the world, but if you're a really highly ranked guy like Aljamain Sterling, you know, you're fighting really tough guys. This, this should be compensated to some degree. Uh, and I think that's right. So Sage is right in the sense that he is, I mean, for folks to think that Sage is just another ordinary guy they're bringing in and there's nothing particularly unique about him, they're clearly missing the point. But it's also not incorrect for other guys to say, okay, that's fine, I can grant that. But, you know, um, if I'm fighting elite guys, I should be getting paid an elite wage. And uh, you, my, your mileage on that answer may differ, but that seems like a very compelling response to me. Live chat or MMA beat in front of a live audience. Luke, I was wondering if anyone has brought up the idea of doing a live chat or the beat in front of a live audience. Uh, not the live chat, but I think we have had, I won't say preliminary discussions. We have gently toyed with the idea, mostly in jest, of trying to do it in front of a studio audience. Um, it seems like certain podcasts, once they gain enough followers, will test out doing a live show or go on tour. My point exactly. I imagine you wouldn't want to do this, but I just want to know if the idea has ever been brought to your attention, if it's ever been discussed with you guys. Not in any kind of real way. I, w- I would actually do it, but we've never we never discussed it as such. I would like to, at some point, if I go to a UFC event, um, and we can get, like, you know, if Chuck's there or if Jeff's there, presumably Ariel will be there. Uh, if we can get at least the three of us, hell, all four of us would be great, but if we can get at least the three of us, uh, I'd like to do a live one in front of a studio, or not studio, but like an audience generally, but I don't know. I'd, I'd do a live chat that way too. You know how the the UFC does one? Um, actually, I don't know if I'd do that because I don't know if folks would be like, hey, Luke, question for you. Can I bang your sister? You know, it would just be two hours of that. I don't know how interested in that I'd be. But, uh, you know, in theory, with vetted questions, I wouldn't be opposed to doing some kind of live live chat either in terms of an audience. But, you know, <laughs> if every question is about uh, CM Punk or why don't I love El Chapo, I'll, I'll pass. If Pettis versus Nate Diaz happens in the next few months, who you got? I would take Pettis. I think his ability to mix up his attacks from a kicking range would be a little bit too much. 
Shogun Hula versus Rashad Evans targeted for UFC on Fox Tampa event in April. I would say hmm, Rashad if he fights smart. Rashad if he fights smart. Just think the ability to work in the takedowns would be a little bit too much. Uh, TJ Dillashaw said in the MMA Hour that he wants to fight a 25-minute 20, one-round fight. I feel like some fighters are fighting for points, trying to win the MMA game, while others are trying to win a fight. Nick Diaz saying he's never lost. Will we ever see the rules change to return to MMA back to his roots of finding out who is the better fighter? We already know who the better fighter are, is usually. Would you rather watch a five five minute round fight or a twenty five minute fight? I would rather watch a five five minute round fight. I think the ability to get um, a rest in there actually makes for better action. Um, I think that there would be all kinds of complications if there was one 25-minute round fight. Um, there would be all kinds of medical issues involved. It, it would be problematic, to say the least. The fact that you have these breaks works well for commercial sponsors. It works well for the fighters. It works well for um, commissions. It works well for health and safety. You know, Everyone was like, I want to do it where there's no rules. You can hair pull. You can eye gouge. And you can, you know beat each other to death with tackle boxes filled with fish hooks. It's like, you know, everyone's trying to define what real is and they're doing it by stripping away more and more rules. I don't think the the name of the game here isn't who the best fighter is and some sort of sense about, well, if there were less rules, the fewer the rules, the better the fighter uh, in terms of the discovery process. I think we have to accept that we're fighting for sport here and that naturally means limitations. Uh, the limitations are part of what makes it what it is. We're moving that, turns it into something else that we're not, I'm not interested in that discovery process. That, that to me is not palatable nor interesting. What is interesting is creating, you know, not, you don't want to onerous a rule set, but the rule set civilizes it in a way that makes it replicable at scale. Um, both as a, uh, from a PR perspective, from a health and safety perspective, and many others as well. All right, so we have to go. Uh, reminder, uh, we'll have coverage of UFC on Fox 18. Our crew is out in Newark doing all the good work. There is an MMA beat tomorrow. It's going to be at a special time, so stay tuned. I will be there. Um, and uh, UFC on Fox 18 this weekend. Bellator 148 on Friday. Paul Daly returns. Don't forget about that. And then, of course, Luke Thomas Show on Channel 93, Sirius XM, 4 to 6 p.m. Don't forget about that either. Uh, let's see. Anything else? No. Stay tuned to MMA Fighting for all your coverage. Follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Until next time, stay frosty. <laughs>